Welcome back, everyone. This is Eric Elfson, and I'm back with my friend Dennis Eastman as we pick up our monthly conversation on stories and becoming more human. Um, and especially at, in education at this point in time, uh, I think there is that question of like, who are we as educators becoming and how do our students impact us and how do we become through that process more human? And so it's fun for us to have these conversations. And today, um, a friend that really I met right at the beginning of the COVID pandemic and, and just have developed a, 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 an unbelievable friendship and then just respect for over time is Jim Knight. And so, Jim, before we jump in with the question and, and dig deep, because you've shared a little bit of your professional journey with me and your professional journey as an educator, give us the overview of like where you've been, some of the things that you've done, and, and then, you know, why maybe why you chose education. Thanks, Eric. And thanks, Dennis. Happy to be here. And um, we'll get right into it. I, I loved high school. You know, high school for me was a, was a safe haven. Um, grew up in a broken home. And you know, that's where I, that was my home. And uh, I had educators and friends and the community just surround me in high school. And I thought, man, if I could be here forever in this environment, I'd love it. And so I went off to college, went to UCLA and um, with the intent of going back to my high school um, where I, where I, where I uh, kind of grew up was formed and that happened. So I went back to Culver City High School. I was there for 15 years as a public school teacher and Loved every second of that experience. Um, and I just really wanted to be there for kids. I love teaching history. Um, I also started a visual and performing arts school. I have no visual and performing arts ability in my body, in my DNA, but I was able to lead and raise money and, and, and pull things together, resources for, for students on the, on the west side of Los Angeles. So I did that, but I was really there to encourage kids and just to help them um, grow and develop and find what I found in high school, which was this great place to grow and to be safe and to, to ask questions and to be formed. So, um, so I spent 15 years in the public school system, working with kids from all different backgrounds and all different areas. I coached, I led numerous uh, ASG um, events and, 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 and dances. And, and the, did, I was on the faculty Senate. It was, you know, everything you can do in, in department chair, everything you can do in public school um, and loved it. And then in 2004, I got the option, opportunity to, to leave and uh, found Pacifica Christian High School. So it's not every day that you get a chance to, to start something brand new from scratch. And it was overwhelming. And the people that I got counsel for when I left Culver High said, hey, you should do this. And I said, well, you never know. I might be back in a year. And, and a number of folks said, you'll never be back. And this is going to work. And so I've been at the head of school at Pacifica Christian uh, here in, in Santa Monica for 18 years. And uh, I get to work with kids and families and staff every day. And when I come in on Monday, I look at it as a joy. Um, I certainly need rest on the weekends, but uh, I, I love to, what I do and I'm privileged to do it. So that's a little bit about the background. And um, there's a lot of details to all that, that history too, but yeah. So Jim, then, then reflect with us a little bit, you know, is, is this idea of, is there a time or is there an experience or a story that you remember that was pivotal for you on working with students or interaction with students where it's like, you know what, this had a huge impact on not just me as a professional, but who I became as a person. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a lot over the years of stories of uh, where you learn so much and you grow so much. I think you just got to be open and humble to the fact you're not finished yet. And um, 
working with all these kids and parents and educators that uh, you grow up a little bit. And certainly I've grown up. Um, I'll, I'll share one brief story and was impactful to me. There was a student in maybe six years in my career and teaching history. And she was a phenomenal student, incredible human being and uh, top of the class. And, you know, everyone loved her. And, um, you know, when you have a great student like that, you feel good. You, you, you're excited. Well, about midway through the year, her behavior changed and uh, she started to really become a thorn in my side over a, a three week period. And I thought, wait, what? this is not supposed to be happening. She's the top student and she's, you know, really sharp and smart. And I just started to get annoyed with her behavior and was kind of being impatient and a little bit harsh to her and like addressing her, hey, you know, stop, knock it off, you know. Um, and that went on for about three weeks and it progressively got worse. She stopped turning in work and she was failing. She failed a test. And, I'm, and, and you know, I was just, I said, this is not the way you're supposed to behave. And so I won after about three weeks, I pulled her outside of class after the class. And I, and I kind of leaned, I, I leaned into her. I said, hey, enough of this. You, you got to stop. I mean, this is really hurting the class. And it's, you know, this is not what we expect of you. And she looked at me in the eyes and she said, Mr. Knight, she said, my dad moved out last night. And she burst into tears and I get emotional just thinking about the incident because I completely read the whole thing wrong. <laughs> you know, uh, I thought she was being disruptive and being kind of just, just mean. And, and she was going through something that was incredible. I mean, kids going through a divorce and in, in their, in their house. And, you know, I, I know what that's like. I, I understand that, but I wasn't paying attention to what she was actually going through. And I actually addressed her in the wrong way. And I apologized to her. And I remember that moment, like, Jim, you need to look behind the behavior much more deeply than you do. And you need to really pause and think deeply about um, what's actually going on in these kids' lives. Um, I knew to do that, but I wasn't doing that in the situation. So, I mean, this was a real human situation where she was going through stuff. And she, the last thing she could do was focus on homework. <laughs> Um, the last thing she can do is, you know, behave properly all the time when she was dealing with all this stuff at home. And so I needed to give her some space. And, um, so I really learned from her and in that incident that, um, you know, Christ give us, gives us a gift of grace and truth, right? Um, we get this gift, gift of grace and truth. And sometimes you give a little bit of truth and, and you, you're hard line on some stuff. And sometimes you give a lot of grace. And I think teaching is an art form. You need to know when to give grace and when to tell the truth and be clear. And I messed that up and I've messed it up a million times, but I get it right sometimes too, or I, I actually deliver grace at the right times and deliver truth at the right times. And um, really it's about working together with colleagues to get that right. And if you can get it right for kids, they're gonna flourish. Um, so that's kind of the story of the, one of the stories, there's others, but yeah. So Jim, I, I sure appreciate you sharing that. That's a tremendous, epiphany isn't it it's like yeah. sometimes we come in thinking i'm here to teach social studies today you know you're a history guy the most in, enlightened of all the teachers are <laughs> of course are the history people that's right i was a in my former life a history teacher for 16 years and everybody needs to know what i've got to give you but then you get a very human moment that causes you to say wow, we're, we're teaching human beings here. This, this matters much more. Her story all of a sudden much more mattered than anything else you were doing. 
So, That's right. We can get back to history. She, she did well on the course, right? So. <laughs> so exactly. So my question for you from that story is how then as a school leader, have you stepped into the place um, as not only an instructional coach and leader for mm. your school, but also really um, you're a form of spiritual leader also at a, I know that your school is a, a Christian school. Um, how is it that you go into the coaching element or the overall philosophy to help your teachers remember we're working with human beings and that have real concerns and real, you know, real daily that you don't necessarily know when they're sitting in front of you. Talk to us about that. Yeah. Thanks, Dennis. That's a great question. I think that, you know, in education, it's easy to have a one size fits all mentality, you know, and you do need structure. You do need policies and procedures. They have to be there. There needs to be consistency for kids to thrive, but then every kid's different and every kid has a story. So in the midst of that consistency, that structure, the rules, that sort of thing, the curriculum, all the things we line up, the calendar that we have that creates order in our schools, we need to understand that there's a personal level to each student. They're all created differently and they have different gifts and they have, each one has a different context. So it's important for us to remind our staff on a consistent basis that we need to meet the kids in their context. And great teachers will want to do that. Um, great teachers will do their very best to try to meet the, understand the kids, the students' context and spend time getting to know them. Um, so that's really, really important. We talk at Pacifica a lot about education and, and adolescence being a battle. Um, it's a good battle. You know, going through teenage years, kids are trying on things for the first time. They don't know what they're doing. They're nervous. Most teenagers are afraid. They won't tell you they're afraid. They don't know what's to come. They're, they're doing things for the first time. They don't know if they're going to mess it up and they will mess some things up. So we should expect, we should not be surprised by errors. We should not be surprised by mistakes and they're going to fall down and make mistakes and it's going to be a battle, but we need to be willing to enter that battle. So we talk a lot about that at Pacifica, that adolescence being a battle, but a wonderful battle and at meeting kids in their context in, in, a, in, in the midst of the, the parameters and the rules, that sort of thing. And we hire teachers that want to love, that love teenagers. <laughs> That's one of our first questions. Do you love teenagers or do you love physics? And hopefully they say both, right? You know, they <laughs> right. need to say both. And, um, but if they say they love physics, but don't love teenagers, we, we, that's not the right fit. Um, because there's something about teenagers that goes beyond physics. Right. So we remind our staff of that. I try to model that, um, everywhere I go, I, I go on the school retreat and, um, you know, participate this last year. I was the, I won the staff member award. We did all these games and I, you know, I've done these many times. So I was able to engage in a way that I got the trophy for winning the most points of doing the craziest stuff. So you try to model that for your staff of getting outside the office, outside the classroom. And um, I remember early on as an educator, I would go have lunch with kids, just go out into the quad and sit down at the table. And it's a little awkward at first. Say, why are you here? You know, this is our space. I'm here just to hang out, you know, um, and so I try to model that today too, and have kids um, have lunch with kids and tell teachers, Hey, listen, I know you guys are busy. You don't need to go to the game tonight. Just go out there and have lunch for 20 minutes, sit down there with them, you know? So that's kind of what we do. It's a little bit organic um, modeling that stuff, but it's important that people catch that vision. You're trying to hire people that have that um, obviously, um, but not everyone has that. Some people have, some people will do it more in, uh, quietly, right? Engage kids. 
So, Jim, one of the things I'm wondering about your experience and your story, because it, it, there, there's some interesting threads in it, but um, you talked about, you know, being a history teacher, but then you start a school <laughs> for, <laughs> for the arts, right? Yeah. And, and, and it does show a little bit of kind of your entrepreneurialness, but like, give us a little bit like what was the impetus from making that change? Because that is especially when you say I don't have an artistic bone in my body, right? Like what was the impetus to that? And then what did you discover? Cause I was a history teacher. We got three history teachers on here. So, you know, we could get a lot of talking in. Um, but, but I, I loved like, especially as I became a school leader working with the, the students in the arts, there was so much fun, their creativity. I even changed the way that I taught based on what I discovered and learned through my arts teachers. Um, but like, what was the impetus to that change? And what did you discover by working, you know, with a school that, you know, in, in a setting that was focused in on artistic creativity and talent and development? Well, that's a great question. Thanks for asking that. Um, you know, I had no plans on doing anything with the arts at all. And like I said, I don't have any skill. Zero. I'm tone deaf and can draw lines, maybe straight, but not really. Um, and so what happened is in, in Culver City, um, Sony Pictures bought the, the studio lot from MGM, which is about maybe half a mile from our campus. And so, you know, I like to tell people if we lived in a rural setting with agriculture, we would have done something agri with agriculture. But because film and, 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 and the arts were a big part of our community in the private sector, um, I thought, hey, listen, there's a lot of kids at the school that want to do film. That film's a new, it was a new thing in the mid to early 90s. And, um, and so I thought maybe we can pull resources from these, this community, from the private sector and put it into the public school. And and Sony Pictures wanted to do it. They wanted to invest resources into the public system. They were quite frustrated with the differences between the private and the public sector. The public sector tends to move very slowly and the private sector moves quickly. So I became a conduit. Um, I remember a meeting in like 1993 when I was young and um, Sony Pictures was talking about, hey, listen, we, we have companies all across the nation that wanna give money to the school systems we just don't know how to do it. And so I stood up and said at the meeting, I don't know how I got invited to this meeting, but I was there. I said, I can help you spend your money. And the vice president of corporate affairs at Sony Pictures thought that was funny. And she came up to me and she said, hey, let's have lunch. And I said, hey, I can't have lunch with you. You're only allowed to talk to the superintendent. I'm just a teacher. So I don't care, let's have lunch. And so we became friends, quickly, quick friends. And I helped her invest money into the public school system and we raised a ton of money from other people. So for me, it was really about getting kids resources. It could have been, you know, auto shop. It didn't have to be the arts. It was just whatever was in the local community that kids got excited about. And we had a lot of kids excited about film. We had a film club of like 150 kids and they wanted film, film classes. We started there and we started a visual performing arts school. So I just hired people that knew stuff about the arts. Um, we got an ed code waiver to hire non-credentialed teachers. And I hired uh, cinematographers and actors and artists and dancers who were professionals that wanted to come in and teach a couple of days a week, you know, on a quarterly basis. I raised money to pay them and it was really fun. So it was really just putting resources into in kids' laps and to see what happened. And they took it from there and they flourished and the kids went to film school all over the country. They went all around the world and they're still working. And so, yeah, that's a little bit about that story, but um, it's certainly, um, 
taught me that um, you just got to show up for kids and give them the resources that they're desiring, you know, and um, you don't want to let the barriers and the obstacles um, get in the way of, uh, of maybe sometimes in the public school system, you, 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 there's a no there and you just say, hey, listen, I'm going to push through that no and get to the yes. So that's how it came up, came about. And it was a joy to do it for 14, 15 years. So. That's uh, amazing. And thank you for sharing that. And one of the things, Jim, it, it sounds to me like you've become very much of an advocate and a champion for student opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and so, you know, if, if we look at, you know, and, and I love maybe tie this back a little bit <clears throat> is to this wonderful battle, right, with these kids for these kids and for their opportunities, just like people did for us and people, you know, it right. sounds like people did for you and with you, you know, when you take that wonderful battle and, and, and are a champion for these kids and for those kids, like how does that, you know, and how do some of these experiences, you know, help you realize like, you know what, some of the battles that, that the kids currently are facing are very different than things that we did, we faced or even were prepared to face, you know, with them as, as young teachers. Like, so, so how are you thinking about stepping into that space and then, you know, providing those incredible opportunities and those incredible resources for students to do great things, but then championing with them and for them while, while you, you engage in this wonderful battle with them? Yeah, I think that things are different, but similar today than they were when I was in high school. Um, I think the similarities are there's still the same fears of growing up and um, there's still the same brokenness in households and difficulties. Um, certainly the stakes are different um, in a lot of ways um, in society today. There's techno with technology and other things. So I think that for me, what I try to do is, is just understand that we need to step into their lives, understanding there, there's a fear there understanding that there's some broken things there. And so if we can provide empathy, listening, I have had so many kids and you guys have all had this too. So many kids come to me and said, so, so said things like this, Hey, you changed my life. And I said, well, you know, and some of these kids, I can barely remember their names because I didn't even teach them. You know, I said, well, what class were you in of mine? They would say, well, you never taught me, but you just happened to listen to me one day at lunch or I was going through something, you just listened. Like, is that all I did is just listen? Did I say anything? They said, nope, you just listened. So providing the empathy and care, I think that's universal across ages, across um, decades. Um, even though the, the, the issues change, the stakes might be higher, but providing empathy, care, and you listen to kids, man, no one listens to them. <laughs> Nobody wants to listen to a teenager. So if you listen to a teenager, you're going to be unique. If you spend the time, show up or engage. I remember my first year teaching, I was like determined to show up and engage. So I went to every single home sporting event the entire first year at, at, in public school. I was at the pool, then go over to the baseball field, to the tennis courts. I went to every single, and I was my goal just to engage and show up. And people don't really show up for kids the same way that they, the way they need it. They don't listen. So I think that's kind of the, today, that's the same thing today that it was then. I mean, they need that. Um, there's so many kids that go to school, they go through school, no one talks to them. They walk home, they go into their bedroom, no one talks to them. They do the same thing the next day, year after year, day after day. And so we need to do everything we can to stop that. 
and showing up and engaging. It takes a lot of effort. I know we got to focus on curriculum and, you know, we want people to grade English papers and prepare. That's essential. But if we can spend a little bit of time listening, I think that helps. Kim, I think that is such a fantastic um, charge to offer to teachers. Um, close us out here. What would you say, and I, I want to understand, of course, on a positive note, you've given us a lot to think about. Um, what would you say to the teacher who, I mean, we're all coming out of pandemic, they're tired, I'm weary, so are the kids, everybody, you know, we're near the end of the year. Um, sometimes we as administrators ask teachers to ramp up when they're ready to wrap up. <laughs> and so um, what would you say to a teacher who says, Mr. Wright, I'm doing everything I can here just to keep my head above water. And here you are saying, show up, listen. It feels like you're asking me to do one more thing. But I love what you were saying, just coming out to a game, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, they see you're there. What could what would you um, suggest to our listeners, to the average um, garden variety teacher, me, who's sitting around saying, man, I feel like I've tried to do those things, but for some reason, I'm still not making an inroad with kids. And you seem to have helped kind of, I don't want to say crack the code, but they, they get you so much that they just think you're, you're one of them so much that they'll start talking to you. So what can you do to help um, some of our listeners who are saying, I'm doing some of the things you've said, but what else can I do? Yeah, it's no good. Thank you, Dennis. It's no good if a teacher is there for two years and then leaves. We want teachers there for a career. And so we got to pace ourselves. There's no doubt about that. And we have to pick our spots. So, you know, I always tell teachers do a few things well, don't try to do everything. Um, so it's, it's, sometimes it's working smarter, not harder. And so on the way to your car on the afternoon, stop by the gym for 10 minutes, if you can. And now that takes discipline, right? And don't stay for 45 minutes, you know, stay for 15 and, and say hello to a couple of kids. Make sure you say hi. Don't, don't just sit in the corner, although that can help, you know, they can, they can see you, but I think it's, it's really picking your spots. Like you don't have to go to the musical on a Friday night and spend four hours, go have lunch on that Friday. I'd spend 10 minutes on the quad, you know? So there's ways to do that, 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 that make a difference. And then to be honest, sometimes it's just sac you have to sacrifice too. You know, you have to put, you have to sacrifice some of your own things. And, you know, I've sacrificed a ton, but I'll tell you right now, I've gotten back tenfold from that sacrifice in my own life. So there's burnout issues for sure. And I think we got to just pick our spots and we're talking about that on our calendar this year for Pacifica. We have too many events, way too many events. And if you have too many, the quality gets less and less. So don't go to a hundred things, go to five things and make them count, you know? Um, so yeah, that's a real issue of burnout and, and, and teachers are doing a lot and, you know, just pick one or two things outside the classroom that you feel like you can do that's in your wheelhouse. And, you know, there's be creative with it. I mean, like I tell teachers that the quad thing at lunch is an easy one. You know, it's easy to stay in our room and grade papers, get stuff done. And we need to do that. Maybe don't do that once a week. Just put it on your calendar every Friday for 15 minutes. I'm on the, cause it, it's easy to fall out of that habit, right? Um, just do that. And then maybe once a quarter, go to the first half of the basketball game or the second half, you know, 
So it's really, it's really fun to brainstorm about these things, you know, because we don't want teachers to, to burn out. We, we want them to be, want them to love what they do. And uh, when you have a, a good conversation with a kid in class, outside of class, man, it, it's exciting. You know, it really is. Well, and Jim, I think one of the encouragements, just even as you were present, going back to that first story, <clears throat> you know, even as you were, you, you became present with that student. Right. And then, you know, you even talked about leaning into her, but then as you listened and received there, there is something about just being present in those spaces. Yeah. Um, I, I remember totally remember. I didn't realize my public school, big public school when I was a first year teacher had a teacher's lounge where the teachers ate lunch. So I just happened to go into the lunchroom with all the students and eat lunch. Cause that's, I thought that's what you did. <laughs> and so I kept doing it. And finally, like this, it was the same thing. Students are like, why are you here? Well, I mean, lunch, right? This is what you do. Um, and then when I realized there was a teacher's lounge, I just stayed because it's like, wait, it's so much more fun being with the kids than being in the teacher's lounge. Yeah. To be honest with you, I, some te- I had some, some issues at, early on in my career where teachers was like, you're not supposed to do that. You're making us look bad. Really seriously. Like you're eating lunch with the kids you leave your door open at lunch or, you know, don't leave your, close your door and go to the teacher's lounge and hang out with us. And I, and, you know, I love teachers and, you know, I'm a teacher and, and I've spent my, my wife's a teacher. And, but I was told, I would tell them, listen, I'm here for them. You know, um, I had a big, so I had a social life outside of school and that my colleagues were professional and some were friends, but like, I was really trying to develop most of my relationships. Obviously you have to develop relationship with your peers in your department, but I was really trying to develop relationship with kids and, so, you know, mo- many teachers are like, hey, great, have lunch with them. But some were like, why are you doing that? You know, <laughs> you know, um, but and it, yeah, it is, that's fun. That's fun that you didn't know where the teacher's lounge was or <laughs> I know they had one. It's like nobody told me But you know, <laughs> it, it, it is those it is. I think it is that fun stuff that even when I, you know, you know, as you think about it, it's like that, that just that what and I, what I discovered by accident was the presence, just being present. You know, and then how do you, you know, just even just be present in those spaces? Yeah, and I also think that like taking risks is key too. like Dennis, you don't have to show up to 10 things. If you go to the carnival on Friday, homecoming lunch carnival and you volunteer, I'll be in the dunk tank. Now, not everyone wants to do that. I know everyone's personality is different. So figure out what your personality is. But you sit in the dunk tank for 30 minutes on a Friday. They're not going to forget that stuff. Or if you're like, hey, I'll do the pie in the face for homecoming week you know, do the pie in the face or the pie in contest. And then you're done for six months, you know, like that makes an impact, you know, uh, obviously that's not totally developing a relationship, but they see you t- taking risks and, and being at their level. You know, we need to go to where kids are at. Um, we need to go get to their level, go where they're at, go to their jobs. You know, when you go to their jobs, you typically get free food. <laughs> like, you know, maybe you're not supposed to get free food at the yogurt shop or the the fast food place, but you go to their jobs. They love it. When you show up, if you're going to drive by that place anyway, just stop in and figure out when they work. And, you know, you got to eat lunch or eat dinner. So just make it at the sandwich shop where they work, you know? So I think it's getting to their level, taking risks, showing them that you are open. Um, yeah. Those things. Jim, really appreciate you. Thank you for sharing your story, your experience, but then even, you know, this encouragement with um, so many of our friends and educators that listen in. Well, you're welcome. It's changed my life for sure. There's no doubt about it. So good stuff, Jim. Thanks very much. All right. Thanks, you guys.